0: There are levels to this shit, and the Baltimore Ravens are not on the same one as the Kansas City Chiefs. That should be abundantly clear to everyone by now. Hello again, everyone. This is Deion Gordon, the Deion Gordon Podcast, episode three, recapping week three, the NFL football season. Week three officially in the books. Monday Night Football last night in Baltimore, Maryland, Your reigning defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. I say that much to my chagrin versus your reigning, defending AFC North champion, Baltimore Ravens. This matchup was sold as a matchup of the two best quarterbacks in the league, in some people's opinion. The two guys are going to be the future of this league going forward. ESPN tried to sell this as the next great quarterback rivalry. Cut from the same cloth in the same vein as Terry Bradshaw and Roger Staubach from the 70s. Troy Aikman and Steve Young in the 90s. And of course, the legendary battles between Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. In order for it to be a rivalry, the other guy has to win every now and then. Lamar Jackson's 0-3 versus Pat Mahomes. And it hasn't been close and he hasn't played well in any of those games. Last night was no exception. Jackson last night, 15-28, 97 yards, one touchdown, he looked pathetic the entire game. He When he had receivers open, he missed them. He did his thing scrambling out of the pocket, but that's a given with Lamar, he's gonna, he's gonna do that. Kansas City, I thought, had a great game plan. Pretty much just try to box him in the pocket as much as possible, don't allow him to get out, don't break contain, stay disciplined, stay patient, keep him in the pocket and make you beat, beat you from the pocket. Lamar has not yet graduated to that point in his career where he's consistently capable of doing that. Patrick Mahomes on the other hand can do everything, he's a goddamn magician. I thought last night, to me it looked like he took that game personal. Coming into the season, the NFL puts together a list of the top 100 players in the league. The players vote on this. this. Mahomes was number four on the list. And after one of his touchdown passes last night, he counts to four on his hands. Some people thought that was uh, because the four touchdown passes he threw, but some people also took it as four, really? You got me as the fourth best player in the league. Mahomes is the best player in the league. Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. With all due respect to Russell Wilson, who's killing it so far this year up in Seattle, but Mahomes is just a different breed. Last night, 31 and 42, 385, four touchdown passes, one rushing touchdown. Like I said, there's nothing he can't do. There's no throw he can't make from every launch angle, from every arm position, off balance, off his back foot, falling down, rolling to his left, rolling to his right, rolling to his right. Shoulders square, shoulders not square. Behind the back, no look. Between the legs, he is a goddamn magician. You could freeze Patrick Mahomes in a block of ice, and he would still throw a touchdown pass. It just doesn't. It just doesn't matter. And I, I thought Baltimore's game plan. Baltimore came in. I, I thought an arrogant game plan. I mean, it's it's who they are. Baltimore likes to blitz and play man coverage with Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters in the back end, and they have a lot of confidence in those corners. Those are two quality. Uh, NFL corners. Those guys are good, but you can't go man coverage against Kansas City and the weaponry and the firepower that they're bringing on a weekly basis. You can't go man coverage for 60 minutes with Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, Miko Harmon, Sammy Watkins, Edward Hilaire, now the rookie running back out the backfield. The creativity of Kansas City's offense, the innovation, the imagination, the Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy play calling from the sideline. I mean, you look at some of the things Kansas City did last night. The threw a touchdown pass Underhanded to his fullback. You go back and look at the play. Tyreek Hill motions to the backfield, lines up as a running back basically. They snap the ball. Ty Hill rolls out of the pocket, rolls to his right as a, as does Mahomes. The defense, of course, flows to the right with both those players. Mahomes flips it underneath, underhanded to his running to his fullback, who walks into the end zone for a touchdown. Another goal line situation. They once again roll all the action to the right. Tackle, tackle is eligible on this play. The left tackle, Eric Fisher, slips out of the backfield wide open for a touchdown. So two of Mahomes' touchdown passes, one of them goes to a left tackle, the other one goes to the fullback amidst all the other weapons that you have. Trying to blitz Patrick Mahomes doesn't work. Trying to play man coverage against Kansas City doesn't work. The only real success I've ever seen anyone have defensing Patrick Mahomes in the Chiefs' offense you got to play cover three zone. The Chargers do that and they've had success containing Mahomes, and when I say had success, it sounds kind of stupid because they haven't beaten him. But, uh, and the 49ers did that. The 49ers contained Pat Mahomes for about 53 minutes in Super Bowl 54, and then all hell broke loose. But the only way to really contain and slow down this offense is you got to play zone. You got to keep everything in front of you because there's too much speed, too many playmakers, too much weapons, too much creativity in the play calling. And the quarterback is the best in the world at what he does. Marlon Humphrey came on a corner blitz. Mahomes hangs in the pocket, rolls to his left, sets up, fires a dart downfield to Miko Hartman. Touchdown, Chiefs. Trying to sell out on the blitz and just hoping that your guys can hold up in man coverage is not going to work against the Kansas City Chiefs. Too much talent. Baltimore found that out last night. Ravens were outgained game 333-97 in the first half. For the entire game, they were out game 517-228. Like I said, Lamar Jackson didn't break 100 yards passing. If Lamar, if the, the Ravens are going to win a championship with Lamar is a quarterback, and that could happen. I'm not saying he's a terrible quarterback. He's a good. He's a league MVP. Went for 36-6 last year. He's a quality quarterback. But to me, similar to Giannis Antetokounmpo in basketball, there's really only one way he can play. Fast break, just coming downhill, running at you. And similar to Giannis in basketball, when you, you saw it with Toronto last year in the Conference Finals, you can build a wall and prevent him from getting to the basket as he wants to do and force him to be an outside jump shooter, You can't do it. Giannis has no other game, he has no mid-range game, no post game, he barely even can dribble. His game is coming downhill, Euro stepping his way to the basket. Lamar on a football field is very similar, Lamar wants to play a fast break, backyard football style of football. Ravens like to go heavy on their formations, 13 personnel, one running back, three tight ends. Design a lot of gimmick run plays for Lamar, a lot of option plays, RPOs. But if you can just stay disciplined and keep contained in the pocket and just build sort of like you build a wall for Giannis in basketball, you build sort of like a cage for Lamar in football and just contain him in the pocket, you're going to have success. You saw that with Tennessee last year in the playoffs. You see that with whenever the competition gets better and the stakes get higher, I haven't seen Lamar take that next step yet. So if he's going to be a great, he's already a great quarterback, but he's going to be even better. And Baltimore is going to win, like I said, Lamar has to improve and add those other aspects to his game and figure out a way to beat you from the pocket. Because as long as the blueprint's already there for you. Tennessee gave you that blueprint. Chargers gave it to you a couple years ago when they beat them in the playoffs. And Kansas City showed you how to do it last night. Chris Jones is a game record. I said this in the previous p- podcast. Other than Aaron Donald, Chris Jones is the best interior lineman in professional football. A lot of people don't talk about him because that Chiefs defense is always going to be in the shadow of the offense. But 95 and white for Kansas City is a bad man. That's a, that's a bad motherfucker. Let's just call it where it is. Two sacks, two quarterback pressures last night. Forced to fumble all over the field. Just wreaking havoc. Chris Jones is one of those guys I heard Joe Theismann say this one time about Lawrence Taylor, if anybody would know about Lawrence Taylor, it'd be Joe. Joe once said, LT's one of those guys you have to identify where he's at at all times on the field. Chris Jones to me is in that category. Aaron Donald is in that category. Khalil Mack is in that category. TJ Watt is in that is in that conversation. He's one of those guys. Nick Bosa is one of those guys. Joey Bosa is one of those guys. You have to know where these guys are at at all times in the field because single-handedly, they can fuck up your entire game plan. You're going to have to devote two or three guys to block those dudes to try to account for them. They're that good. Excellent game plan by Kansas City last night. The creativity on offense. They had a play where Miko Hardman lined up at quarterback and shotgun. Mahomes is split out wide. They snapped the ball. Mahomes rotates to the backfield. Hardman... Pitch, pitches it back to him. I guess you can call it a flea flicker. He throws it to Edwards to layer out the backfield, pick up a first down. I mean, they're just Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy work, working in tandem are just geniuses on the sideline. And when you, when you have that much, when you have that intelligence in your play calling and two guys who just know what they're doing and know how to s- schematically devise a game plan to take advantage of whatever deficiencies you have in your defense and you have the players that they have to execute it on the field, Kansas City is unstoppable. Like I said, the only way you can even hope to contain them, to neutralize them, to slow them down a little bit, you got to play cover three. But in order to play cover three and have any kind of success against them, you got to have a strong front four that can get a rush without having to blitz. That's why the Chargers can do that because they have Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. San Francisco was able to do that last season with Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, D Ford. They can get pressure with his four down linemen so you can sit the other seven guys back in coverage and keep everything underneath you. Not every team has that personnel. Baltimore is deficient in their pass rush. They brought in Calais Campbell in the offseason, but they're still not able to get pressure with just four, so they have to blitz. And you can blitz Pat Mahomes all day. He'll eat you alive. He'll destroy you. And he did that last night. He was he was in a, diff- he was in a different planet last night than what Baltimore was trying to do, certainly from Lamar Jackson. If someone's going to beat Kansas City, you're probably just going to have to outscore them. I don't know who in the AFC has enough firepower to go four quarters with this team and go up and down the field and outscore them. I like what Buffalo has offensively. I think Josh Allen, I'll get to this later, is one of the top five quarterbacks in the league right now. I like Singletary at the backfield, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley. I like their creativity with their play calling on offense. Pittsburgh with Roethlisberger is another team. That could pose a threat. They have defensive players that can get pressure. The, the aforementioned T.J. Watt, Devin Bush, Bud Dupree, Minka Fitzpatrick on the back end. They have an elite defense, but can they score enough? Can anybody score enough for Kansas City? I don't know. Right now, they're looking like they're about to go back to back. It's too early in the season to definitively say that. But barring injury, I don't know who matches up with this team for four quarters. These guys are on a different level. Sunday night football. Green Bay over New Orleans down there in the Superdome. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is playing as if the Green Bay Packers drafted the quarterback in the first round to take his job. Oh wait. That's exactly what they did. They took Jordan Love in the first round of Utah State. And I think Aaron Aaron's responding to that. The way he's playing in the first three games, he's been lights out. Week one versus Minnesota. Last week versus Detroit. Sunday night versus New Orleans. Still able to make every single throw in the field. The only guy with a stronger arm than, than Aaron Rodgers is Mahomes. But there's not a throw in the field that Aaron Rodgers can't make. Deep passes all over the field, throwing to the outs- to, to, to outside of numbers, from the near hash to the far sideline, deep passes down the field. Alan Lazard, who I don't think anyone even heard of before coming into the season, catching deep passes down the field. He had 13 catches. for the season, he has 13 catches, 254 yards, 2 touchdowns. Versus New Orleans last Sunday night, 6 catches for 146. Rodgers for the game, 21-32, 283, 3 touchdowns, no interceptions. Rodgers for the season, 9 touchdowns, no interceptions, QBR 90. Guys playing lights out football and keeping Jordan Love on the sideline for now. Green Bay doesn't even, they rarely invest first round capital, first round draft picks on getting playmakers for Aaron Rodgers. That's why every year Green Bay comes into the season, they got guys you never heard of, guys coming out the woodwork, guys they found off the the street, making plays surrounding Aaron Rodgers. And a testament to how great he is, he's able to make these guys great football players, and Green Bay's offense just continues on. But from his perspective, I I know he, he had to be pissed. Year after year after year, Green Bay just refuses to draft elite talent in the first round to compliment him as a quarterback. You have Devontae Adams, sure. But wouldn't it be nice to have other great players surrounding you? A great tight end. A slot receiver. I feel like that would be nice. Drew Brees had nice numbers. 29, 36, 288, three touchdowns. But all lives matter, Brees, uh, to me, as regressed as far as arm strength is concerned. He had Emmanuel Sanders open on an out, an out route. He completed the pass, but it barely got there. And it could have been more yardage after the catch. But Emmanuel had to really adjust to the ball. Slide. It's like a sliding, diving type of catch to come up with it. If it was only The ball only traveled 18 yards in the air. Breeze checks it down a lot. I don't think Breeze himself has confidence in his arm. He, it looks like to me, he's hesitant to launch it downfield to make big plays. And instead, we'll just check it down. He's, the, the Saints offense is definitely missing Michael Thomas. Because they don't have any other real playmakers other than Kamara out the backfield, they don't have any real playmakers that you worry about. They try to involve Taysom Hill. Gadget plays. He had a fumble late in the game that I thought that pretty much cost him. New Orleans is one and two. A lot of people had that team picked to go to the Super Bowl this year. One and two after the slow start. I want to talk now about my own personal list of the top five quarterbacks in professional football right now. Number one, the aforementioned Patrick Mahomes. The magician, Patrick Mahomes. Number two, Russell Wilson. 14 touchdown passes this year and only one interception. He's on pace to throw, legitimately he's on pace to throw 70 touchdowns this year. Probably That that won't happen, but I mean, he's on a ridiculous pace right now. 14 touchdown passes in three games is just otherworldly. Aaron Rodgers. I got him right now being the third best quarterback in the league. Everything he's doing, like I said, nine touchdown passes, zero picks, playing lights out football, accurate, precise throws, intermediate, deep throws, every every pass a quarterback needs to make on target. Josh Allen, that's going to surprise some people because I don't think a lot of people even watch Buffalo or even care about what they do. But If you're a football nerd like me, I watch every team. Buffalo's a quality football team. That's a team people got to be – they're a team that's a force to be reckoned with. With Tom Brady no longer in, in New England, I don't see New England as being the favorite to win the AFC East. I see Buffalo as being the favorite to win the AFC East, make, go to the playoffs and make noise. They made the playoffs last year, they won one and done versus Houston. But I definitely see the Bills winning that division, as long as long especially if Josh Allen can continue playing at the, at the level he's playing at right now. And number five, even though you know I derided him earlier, you know, as much criticism as I can give him, calling him the football version of Giannis Antetokounmpo. Lamar Jackson, I still think is the fifth best quarterback in the league. Once again, I don't think he's terrible. I just think there's room for improvement. Accuracy issues. He left a lot of throws in the field last night. But that's that's against the world champion, Kansas City Chiefs. That's against a quality football team. The first two games, he was great. And once again, going back to last season, 36-6, league MVP. He, he earned that MVP. I will never try to take that away from him. And when I look around the rest of the, the rest of the league, I don't really see anyone else playing the position at such an elite level that they could overtake Lamar as being the fifth best quarterback in the league. I see everyone else is kind of average to mediocre. So those that, for me personally, that's my top five: Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen in Buffalo, and Lamar Jackson. Moving on. Those are the people who I thought did well for the most part this week. Some good quarterback players, some good football play this week. Then you have some people who I think are absolute shit and probably should be fired. I'm going to start with Dan Quinn in Atlanta. Dan Quinn and Adam Gase should both be fired this week expeditiously, T.I. voice. The Falcons have blown double-digit leads in back-to-back games. Week 2 versus Dallas, they were up 15 twice in that game. Blew it. Lost the game 39-38. Week three, this past week, this past Sunday, they're up 26-10 against Chicago in the fourth. Miss Trubisky gets benched. And that's rare you see a quarterback get benched when his team is undefeated, but Trubisky is so garbage that he somehow figured out a way to get benched despite the fact that he hadn't lost a game this season. Nick Foles to the rescue. Nick Foles comes into the game and tosses three touchdown passes in the fourth to lead Chicago to the victory. 30 to 26 Bears. Bears are undefeated still, three and zero. But with a change of quarterback, Coach Matt Nagy announced this week that going forward, at least for, for the foreseeable future, they will be going forward with Nick Foles. You blow two double-digit leads in consecutive weeks, and you're the same coach who blew a 28 to three lead in Super Bowl 51 versus the New England Patriots. I don't know how this guy keeps his job. They haven't had a winning season since that Super Bowl. And me personally, I give a lot... Of, the biggest reason they got to that Super Bowl to me is Kyle Shanahan. He was the offensive coordinator for that team. Matt Ryan was league MVP that year. Great offense with seven Coleman, Devontae Freeman, Julio Jones, Muhammad Sanu, Roddy White. That offense was electric that year, and Kyle was calling the plays. Dan Quinn's a defensive coach. Falcons have had a decent defense. This year, not so much. If you give up three touchdown passes in the fourth quarter, your defense isn't doing anything. Adam Gase. I don't even, Adam Gase, to me... Is the NFL coaching version of white privilege? He embodies white privilege as an NFL head coach. Adam Gase got his job with Miami a few years ago, and the best he ever did was make the playoffs in 2017 and quickly lose in the first round. Gracefully bow out in the first round to the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Then he goes eight and eight, and then he gets fired. He gets hired by the, immediately gets hired by the New York Jets, which is mind-boggling to me because if I'm the New York Jets. I see this guy twice a year. He's in my division. So I know how mediocre he is. I know how just average at best this guy is as a coach. But the Jets, because they're just mired in mediocrity, they just don't know how to walk properly. They can't even put one foot in front of the other. They can't walk and chew gum at the same time. They're an inept garbage organization. They look at Adam Gase and say, yep, that's the guy we want. And I'll tell you why they hired Adam Gase. Adam Gase survives in this league not only because of white privilege, but also because... He once upon a time was the quarterback's coach for Peyton Manning when Peyton was in Denver. Peyton Manning, in my estimation, is the third greatest quarterback of all time. Peyton Manning was already a great quarterback, already a first ballot Hall of Famer before Adam Gase took over as the quarterback's coach in Denver. Adam Gase did not make Peyton Manning a better quarterback. There was nothing Adam Gase did for Peyton Manning to make him a better quarterback. But because he was the quarterbacks coach for Peyton Manning because he has that on his resume and other factors he continues to get work in the NFL like I, I mentioned Eric Bieniemy earlier Eric Bieniemy was the offensive coordinator and still is for the for the Kansas City Chiefs the defending Super Bowl champions this past offseason he did not receive one interview for any NFL teams no one thought to bring in the offensive coordinator for the reigning defending NFL world champions And I find that ridiculous. I find that appalling. But Joe Judge gets a job in in New York with the Giants. The receivers coach for the Patriots last year. The Patriots receivers last year led the NFL in drops. So naturally, the Giants look at that and say, well, you know what? We're going to hire their their receiving coach. So we can come in and instruct our receivers how to drop footballs. The Giants are currently 0-3, by the way. Back to Adam Gase. You have this reputation of being his quarterback guru, the quarterback whisperer to Coach Peyton Manning in Denver. That's on his resume as why he continues to get employment. So why is the Sam Darnold any good? Why is Sam Darnold still complete shit? Why did Sam Darnold throw three interceptions last, su- last Sunday? Why is Sam Darnold not taking that next step in his career? Sam Darnold coming out of USC was known as a turnover-prone quarterback who lacked good decision-making. He's still, three years later, this is year three for Darnold, is a turnover-prone quarterback who lacks good decision-making. If you're Adam Gase and you have the reputation of being a quarterback whisperer, a quarterback guru, shouldn't you fix that? Shouldn't that be remedied by now? Why is Sam Darnold still making rookie mistakes in year three if your head coach is a quote-unquote alleged quarterback whisperer? Because he's not. Because he exists on white privilege. He exists on Peyton Manning boosting up his resume. Sam Darnold last Sunday versus Indianapolis was 17-29, a buck 68, one score and three picks. Pitiful, garbage, woefully inept, pure shit. The Jets are also 0-3. The Jets are on the clock. The Jets will have the number one pick in next year's NFL draft. And they'll probably select Trevor Lawrence, quarterback out of Clemson, and they'll ruin his career. Jets haven't had a real quarterback since Vinny Testaverde in 98. and Before that, you gotta go back to fucking Joe Namath. These teams consistently... Every year, made these horrible decisions with personnel and wonder why they suck is mind-boggling to me. Continuing to look around the NFL, Pittsburgh 28 over 28-21 over the Houston Texans. I'm looking at the Houston Texans and I look at their opening schedule, the first three games. I'm asking the question: Did Bill O'Brien fuck Roger Goodell's wife? Does he owe him money? Who did who who did Bill O'Brien and the Houston Texans piss off? At the NFL headquarters to get that gauntlet of the first three games of the schedule that they've gotten to begin this 2020 season. Week one, on the road, NFL kickoff, Thursday night football against your defending champion, Kansas City Chiefs. The home team always wins that game. The defending champion always wins. If you're going to gamble, if you're going to bet, take the home team in that game. Every year, that opening Thursday night game, they're going to raise the banner. They're going to get the rings. It's a feel-good moment. Everyone's feeling great, positive. And they're going to destroy, they're going to beat whoever the visiting team is that night. That's what Kansas City did. Took Houston apart. Week 2, at home versus Baltimore. They lost. They got destroyed again. And this past Sunday, you go on the road to play against a Pittsburgh Steelers team that, like I said, I think is one of the leading contenders in the AFC. You can throw Buffalo in that mix. You can throw Tennessee in that mix. All due respect to the Tennessee Titans. They did go to the AFC Championship game last year. They did beat the Baltimore Ravens on the road in the playoffs last year. So respect for the Tennessee Titans. Ryan Tannehill had a great game over the weekend. Derrick Henry still eating up yards. But if I'm the Houston Texans, it's bad enough before the season started. Bill O'Brien trades your best playmaker, your best receiver, and one of the top three receivers in the league, DeAndre Hopkins, to the Arizona Cardinals for an 80, 87-use Buick and a turkey sandwich and a broken-down running back in David Johnson. It's bad enough that happens. Now you're going to open up the first three games of the season against Kansas City, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh. Houston is 0-3. Of course they're 0-3. There was no way they were going to have a favorable record going against those three teams, two of which were on the road. You give away DeAndre Hopkins for a 94 Pontiac Sunfire with 700,000 miles on it. You get nothing back in return. What do they got second-round pick? But David Johnson's a shell of himself. He's no longer the running back that he used to be. O'Brien's another guy. He should have been fired after last season. You choke away a 24-3 lead against Kansas City in a divisional round. Kansas City closed that game on a 51-3 run. That's unheard of. I'll say that again. Kansas City closed out that divisional playoff game in last year's playoffs on a 51-3 run. And Bill O'Brien survived that and is still the head coach of the Houston Texans. I don't understand it. Actually, I do. Privilege. If a brother was the head coach of the Houston Texans and his team got outscored 51-3, they they'd to fire their brother the next day. Let's call it what it is. Adam Gase, Dan Quinn, Bill O'Brien, why do you still have your jobs? What have you accomplished? What have you done? And even if they were to get fired, they would just get second and third opportunities. It's all ridiculous, and it's all bullshit, and it's bad for you. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Once again, everyone prematurely forecasted the demise of the great Tom Brady, the GOAT Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback in the history of professional football, Tom Brady. Week one, poor effort. Not a poor effort, but poor performance, poor execution, losing to New Orleans. Bounced back with a win last week versus Carolina going the road against a broken-down and injury-depleted Denver Broncos team. The starting quarterback, Drew Locke, out for six weeks. Vaughn Miller, out for the season with an ankle. Cortland Sutton, out for the season with a torn ACL. They're they're dropping like flies in Denver. They have no bodies left. Denver's best bet would be to get some of those South Park cutouts they had in the stands this this past Sunday, put them on the field. Denver 0-3, they're on their way to being, I'm going to guess, 4-12. They will also have a top-five draft pick in next year's draft. But Tom Brady... Whoever one had being done, falling off a cliff once again, y'all need to stop listening to Max Kellerman. Stop listening to stupid people on television. Ma- Ma- Max Kellerman, Nick Wright, Colin Coward, these dumbass people on TV who are these nationwide, worldwide platforms to spew out ignorant bullshit. Stop listening to these stupid ass people. Just watch the games and form your own opinion. Or you can listen to me because I know what I'm talking about. Brady versus Denver. 25 or 38, 297, three scores, no picks. Quarterback rating of 115.8. Go back and watch the film, you see NFL level throws. The arm strength is still there. 43 years of age. Sending it downfield. Making throws outside the numbers. From the near hash to the far sideline. Hitting guys in stride. And I think gradually as this season goes along, you see him learning Bruce Arians' offense. And really starting to find himself as a quarterback in a different system. A lot of people always shit on Brady and say that he's a product of Bill Belichick and his system. Bill Belichick coaches defense. The system in New England changed on a, on a yearly basis, sometimes on a weekly basis. You go back to 07. They ran largely a shotgun-based spread offense. Four or five receivers on the field. Randy Moss, Wes Welker, two of those receivers. Brady set records that year. Threw 50 touchdowns. 22 of them going to Randy Moss. A few years later, they, they go to a two tight end set. 22 personnel for the most part. Two tight ends, two running backs. Rob Gunkrowski, Aaron Hernandez. They still win. They're still a good football team. Brady's still putting up numbers. A couple years later, their last Super Bowl run, they go to a power I formation, run dominant team. But when Brady still had to make plays, he still made plays. This guy can still play. At 43, it's incredible to watch. It's unbelievable to watch in some aspects. And like I said, I think as each as the weeks pass, as the season progresses, you see this guy starting to find himself a little bit more and more and get more acclimated and more comfortable in that area's offense. With the weapons that surrounds him down there in Tampa, with Gronkowski, with Mike Evans, with Chris Godwin, with Leonard Fournette at the backfield, with, with Shady McCoy down there, with Cameron Bray, with O.J. Howard. If that team can continue to improve and get more comfortable with each other, and, and get you know the timing and the rhythm and the precision down in the offense, look out. That's going to be a scary football team to deal with going forward. Brady can still play, and unlike last season in New England, Brady has a lot of weapons to throw the ball to. Then it's week three. There was no preseason. There's no obviously because of COVID. There's no offseason. It's a work in progress. But give us some time. And that team could be filthy going forward. I know they've only beaten Carolina and Denver, who are two of the worst teams in the league. But you got to beat someone. you got to play who's on the schedule. That team's going to be filthy going forward. Seattle with a big win over Dallas. Now, for once in my life, I was rooting for Dallas. I normally hate the Cowboys. But they're playing against a division rival, one of the 49ers' enemies. Well, this game was really a matchup of two 49ers' enemies. But Seattle players in our division, so I root for them to lose. Dallas couldn't hold their end of the bargain. Dallas, Dallas, if it wasn't for the ineptitude in the Atlanta Falcons, and the Falcons shitting the bed and once again snatching defeat from the jaws of victory with another come from head loss, Dallas could easily be 0-3, sitting in 1-2 right now. Fortunately for Dallas, and every other, and the other three teams in that division, they play in what in my estimation is the worst division in pro football. The NFC East, or the NFC Least, as I like to call it, is garbage. It's been garbage for quite some time now. But you look at the Washington football team, they're 1-2. And, and I think they're in first place. Because they have a division win versus the Eagles in week one. The Eagles are 0-2-1. Talk about benching Carson Wentz. Doug Peterson, the head coach, came out and squashed all that this week. But there is conversation. Wentz has thrown seven interceptions so far in a three-game three game season. Obviously, that's terrible. They drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round. There's already conversation about Jalen Hurts coming in coming in and taking Carson Wentz's job already. The Giants are only three. The Giants are garbage. That, that actually, that would be the one team in that division I would count out. The other, the other three teams have a shot. Washington still has a shot. Washington has five first-round draft picks on their defense. At some point, those guys got to all be great, right? You would think. Chase Young has been better than advertised so far this year. He's already talked, though, from idiot, nonsensical, delusional, dumbass Washington football fans. You know, it's crazy. They changed the name of the team, but the, the the idiocracy and the nonsense of the fan base still remains the same. You have fans of that team, the Washington football team, who are legitimately saying that Alex Smith should take over as the starting quarterback for Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins He struggled He's thrown seven picks On the past two weeks We threw three last Sunday Versus Cleveland For the season Dwayne Haskins Has thrown for only 625 yards In three games Four touchdowns And three interceptions It's a QBR 28.4 in the season Obviously those are not Good numbers But you know what Dwayne Haskins has That Alex Smith doesn't Two functional legs Two functional Working legs Alex Smith Paid homage to Joe Theismann two years ago. Snaps his leg in half. Everyone saw the Project 11 documentary. 17 surgeries just to save his leg. 17 surgeries just to save his life. He developed an infection. Almost died due to a broken leg. J.J. Watt almost killed this motherfucker, for real. He's come back. Give the guy all the credit in the world for his grit, his toughness, determination, And just wanting to get back on the field, wanting to teach a lesson to his kids that you can't give up, that you gotta stay true to your word, that you can't just pack it in when faced with adversity. Give the guy all the credit in the world. Tougher than a $2 stake. But can he even play football anymore? Do we know this guy can even protect himself in the football field? If faced with pressure, can he escape out the pocket? Can he step up in the pocket? Does he even. Has he cleared the mental hurdle of getting back on the field, knowing the last time he was on the field, there were bones sticking out of his leg? And despite that, you have Washington football fans. Like I said, the name, the team name change, the dumbassery of the fan base still remains. I'm from that area. I'm from Frederick, Maryland. I grew up around Washington, well, back then, Washington Redskin fans. These people are idiots. And I say that with the utmost confidence. There's a few here and there that know what the, know what the fuck they're talking about. The majority of them are fucking idiots. Redskins won a preseason game. These people are popping bottles, celebrating as if they won the Super Bowl. Redskins won in week one versus Philadelphia, 27-17. Once again, these people are making reservations for Tampa for Super Bowl 55. Calm down, pump the brakes, slow it down. You ain't there yet. But the conversation of benching Dwayne Haskins for Alex Smith, that is asinine. That is it's preposterous. That's ridiculous. Alex Smith has not shown, even the Redskins coach, the Washington football team coaching staff says this. He has not proven yet that he can defend himself on the football field. Once again, give the guy all the credit in the world. You admire that kind of toughness, that kind of grit. You you admire it. It's a heartwarming, feel-good story, and that's why I think it will happen, though. At some point this season, I think Smith will get on the field because the Washington football team is a team mired in controversy. They had to change their name in the offseason. They had some salacious things going on off the field with Dan Snyder and a few other Redskins Washington football team executives. They had the cheerleaders on a calendar shoot. Getting paid off for sex and things like that. This is a team with horrendous PR. They've always had horrendous PR since Snyder took over the team about 20 years ago. So they need a a feel-good story. They need something positive to happen. Put Alex Smith on the field. That's something to rally around. It's something for the fan base to feel good about. That's a good positive story, a heartwarming story, right? You just hope you cross your fingers you don't, you know, repeat history. But the conversation of benching Dwayne Haskins already, even for Kyle Allen, the Redskins of the Washington football team's second-string quarterback, I find that ridiculous. Dwayne Haskins has not played that much football. I don't want to sit there and make excuses for him or his lazy cop-outs but that's just reality he hasn't played that much football in his life he only had 13 starts at Ohio State he had a handful of starts last year he never, he never practiced with the ones during the week For about half those starts the first couple games he played in they just threw him in there so what have you really done to complement this quarterback and his skill set and his ability to put him in a position to be successful if you're the Washington football team And three games into the season, you look at his numbers out the gate, his first 10 starts. They're comparable to Josh Allen. And like I said, Josh Allen in year three, and right now, in my estimation, is one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. So if I'm the Washington coaching staff, I'll be able to exercise patience and just give it some time. I'm not going to put Haskins on the bench yet. See what happens. Let it develop. Let this quarterback take his lumps. But the, the conversation that I've heard and seen online of putting Alex Smith on the field, I mean, if that's what y'all want to do, go ahead, knock, knock yourself out. But if this dude gets his shit broken in half again, don't say nothing. If we don't even know this dude. Can even, I saw a video of him walking out the house when it was announced that he made the team. He was limping out the house. The dude can't even walk out of his house, but you want him on the football field? There's live bullets out there. Them brothers ain't going to be worried about or concerned about this heartwarming feel-good story. They see a quarterback on the field with the ball in his hands. Go get him. Make a play. It's live bullets. You step between those white lines, you're fair game. You've been cleared by the medical staff. Absolutely ridiculous. But they're still in the mix to win the NFC East somehow. As are the Cowboys. As are the Eagles. Go figure. The worst division in pro football. The NFC East. So with all that being said, that about wraps it up for week three and episode three. Week three of the NFL football season, episode three of the Deion Gordon Podcast. Next podcast, I'll be talking about the NBA Finals, the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Miami Heat. LeBron James, the opportunity to win his fourth championship. Right there in front of him, you know, COVID-19 championship. We'll get into that later on the fourth episode of the Deion Gordon Podcast. Until next time, take care of yourself, be safe. Picture me rolling, I'm out.